Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Snakebird. Listeners, welcome today. We've got something very special for you. It's actually a continuation of where we left off last time. Why don't you go ahead and check this out? Who do you think you are? Who? So, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Who are you? You. No, not me, you. Yeah, I am you. Just answer the questions. Who are you? Now, say my name. That's right. This is a special snakebird profile, but it's actually not just a snakebird profile. It's part two because we are talking about whom, Stephen? Well, the saga continues as we enter part two of examining David, who will be king now in part two. He's such a big character. We really had to take two of these to, to look at it all. And um, the last interaction we really had with David was um, where he confronted Saul for a second time. And then that leads into a whole nother season of all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I don't want to say that he has a giant story. Okay, I used that joke the first time. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, we as we went, we realized that talking about his whole life, we were going to be here for uh, at least two to three hours. And so we're <laughs> going to try to keep this uh, podcast about the same length as the last one. We're going to jump right in. Like you said, he just confronted Saul for the second time. And now we see him kind of make a complete heel turn to what uh, was normal to his nature. Because he said in his heart, that's where we're going to pick up is in First Samuel 27. It says that he said in his heart, there's no way I'm ever going to get away from Saul. And so he flees to the world. He yeah. leaves the promised land and he heads to Philistine Village, like, yeah. a.k.a. Land of the Enemy. Yeah, we almost see a change of character, you might say, because it, he, there was this man that wouldn't dare even touch a, a hair on Saul's head, to now he has turned and run towards the enemies of Israel. Yeah, and it's really sad, because not only is he uh, responsible for himself, but his men have now grown to 600 strong, and he's also leading his family, and so he's taking them from where God had him and into this, this, I would call it like a journey of this to the center of the world. I mean, he's, he's gone to the epicenter of evil. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's kind of bizarre. I, you know, before we even get going, do you see any connection there with maybe just the way that we react to hard times or difficulty? Yeah, I, I really do. There's times in my own life I can look back and it's almost like a thrown in the towel. You yeah. just, you've, you're at a breaking point almost, and you make irrational decisions, sometimes impulsively, and you just, you take off for a season of disobedience or whatever you want to call it. As we examine it, you'll, I, I think the listener can put, you know, their own idea of what's going on here with David. Well, and I wonder if he's, if he, in a sense, is like saying, I'm going to help God out, because... That's true, you because know, he does some interesting things while he's out. Yeah, he? And I mean, I wonder if he's almost like, well, Saul's going to get me and there's no way that God can protect me. And I know he's had a heck of a time in the wilderness, you know, trying to avoid being caught. Yeah. And people have sold him out. But he's also had really deep spiritual connected times with God, as we see through the Psalms. 
And this is one of the saddest things that we know on record is that no Psalms are recorded during this year and four months that he's outside of the land of Israel. Yeah. And he's almost on, on, uh, you might call it a rampage against, against enemies of Israel. He's like, you know, in this time that I'm waiting to see whatever this is that God's doing, I'm going to unleash a little bit. Yeah. And like almost like a justification of it, maybe, um, where he's like, I'm going to help God out. Yeah. So the story goes that he leaves Israel and he goes to Achish, who he's already had a run-in with. It, I, I've heard that Achish can be a title for a king in Philistine country, so it may have been the same guy. It may have not been. But when whatever the case, he went out there. This is a dude who's notorious on their like um, Philistine's most wanted list because he killed their champion, Goliath. But now he comes in and he says, hey, I want a place to stay. And as he's staying in their city, he's like, hey, I just I just want a little town off to the beaten path. And so they give him a place called Ziklag. And the next thing you know, he's making these daily raids. And like you said, he's not necessarily going after who he says he is because he's lying to Akish and he's saying, hey, I, I went and raided the southern parts of, of um, Israel or Judah, where actually he's going and he's killing uh, the Canaanites. He's yeah. going against the armies of the Israelites. It, again, possibly the right thing, but completely the wrong way of going about it. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely a couple angles you could look at this from, and it's it's just a bizarre situation. He's sitting there lying to, to um, this new this new king that he's supposedly serving. He's he's going and killing uh, people that he's he's basically lying and living a double life. Yeah. And the Bible says in the New King James, and it says, and thus was his behavior. I mean, his heart's changed, his behavior's changed. All of these things that are happening seem to point that he's really off the beaten path. Yeah, he's uh, he's almost uh, in a, I would say, perhaps even in a season of just flat out disobedience. And Achish, he's calling himself his servant. And Achish even responds by saying, I'm going to make you mine forever. Yeah, that that sounds a little bit like Satan, doesn't it? It does. It's insane. It does. And so it ramps up now to where the Philistines are going to go to battle with the Israelites. Yeah. And guess who is volunteering for the fight? David. David. He's right there going, oh, yeah. we're going to war with you. Yeah. Which boggles the mind. Yeah, it really does. It's insane. Yeah. It's like that moment in Braveheart where Robert the Bruce switches sides oh. and is fighting against Mel Gibson, you know, <laughs> William Wallace. It's yeah. like it's this moment where he, it's like, what? It's a stab in the heart. How could this happen? Yeah. I mean, I should have known my history before I watched that movie, but when I was watching it, my like popcorn dropped out of my mouth going, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. he just sold him out. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. And and fortunately, God is still with David because all of a sudden, all of the princes of the Philistines are like, whoa, um, I was turning on Top 40 radio the other day, and there's still this song playing called Saul's Killed His Thousands, But David's Killed His Tens of Thousands. Yeah. We don't trust him, and we're not going to battle with him because the minute that he goes out there, he might turn on us. Yeah. Which is such a blessing for for us seeing David and witnessing his story, but also a blessing for David that he's not going to have to follow through. That's true. Yeah. But the worst thing about it is, is David comes to Achish and goes, but what have I done? I want to go and fight for you. 
Yeah, that, wh- why would he say that? You know, he he had, he knew, uh, think about the, the, the boy that went up against Goliath. He had that zeal. He's like, what are y'all doing? Those are uncircumcised Philistines. And now he is just, he is just on his heels trying to fight for the enemy. What what has happened to him? It's crazy. I think when you're in the world, you lose your your mindset. Yeah. You, you go a little loco. Yeah. You start toying with um, with the world strategy and their type of thinking, and then it becomes a practice and a habit, and just goes from there, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe even some Stockholm syndrome, where he's like, "That's true. These are my people right now," and yeah. losing sight of what was real. Yeah. I don't know. What happens next to me seems like a wake-up call because King Akish says, no, you guys, you don't have to fight for me. I know that you would have. Go home. And when David comes back to Ziklag, the Amalekites, the flesh, they're representative of the flesh in the Bible, they've come in and they have basically robbed the place and and made off with all of these guys' families. Yeah. And they get there and they are just heartbroken. And they're discouraged. And um, the city was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And they wept until they had no more power to weep. And even the men, his men, started to think about stoning him. Yeah. And it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Maybe this was the wake-up call. Yeah. This is like a, a turning point, uh, snapping him out of this season of disobedience. Yeah. And and they go after them. And, of course, um, they get their belongings back and even some more. And so they're able to, to bless, um, get blessing from what would have been considered a terrible thing happening. Yeah. And they're they're able to recover their families, which is um, awesome. And we saw about how some were able to go on because they got tired. And there's a long story in there. Um, but on the other side of things, on the B side of what we don't see happening is that the Philistines have since gone to war with Saul. Yep. And Saul and Jonathan and, and Saul's other sons, they all get defeated and they all die. Yeah. And yeah. so that leads us into second Samuel, which is essentially where the children of Judah come and they say, listen, we should have seen it all along. What happens? Yeah. Well, David basically gets the news that Saul and Jonathan are dead. And, um, David basically, this is not good news to David's ears. Um, it, it's, it's kind of, I mean, imagine the emotions he's going through. He, he turned against them and now, now he's at this moment where he hears they're dead and he's, he's torn from every angle. It seems. Very bittersweet. Yeah. 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 And I mean, the song that he sings about Saul and Jonathan, he mm-hmm. said they were beloved and pleasant in their lives and in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. Yeah. And then... God finally allows, or, or through the circumstances, through him getting anointed as king all the way back when he was a little shepherd boy, now finally comes to fruition yeah. where they say, we're going to anoint you as our king. Yeah. Talk about the tables turning. It's just insane. Yeah. And Saul had one other son who decides, hey, I'm going to go for um, the nation of Israel. And so then they're divided for yeah. a time, for seven years. 
and David's king over Judah, and uh, his name is Ishbosheth. He's king over Israel. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times we can read in scripture and pass over a long period of time, but there was a—I imagine there was a lot of emotions, a lot of craziness going on in this time period of between Saul and David. Yeah, the divided kingdom. I mean, just think about how much division that that caused throughout all that. Yeah, and it, since it doesn't pertain as much to David, we're gonna we're gonna skip some of this yeah, because we could get bogged down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we there's some really interesting stories. There's a dude who's um, who's like crazy fast who runs and he ends up getting stabbed in the, the chest with a spear and then yeah. there's brothers that are killing each other and there's kind of some crazy stuff eventually what it does is it leads to david finally being anointed as king over all of israel and if you're following along that's in second samuel chapter five yeah. and he reigns um for seven years in Judah and then for 33 years collectively in both kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And and they're just celebrating that finally they have this united kingdom once again. And it's the guy that, that God chose. And then immediately he has to fight the Philistines. And yet he's still asking God, hey, what do we do? And, and there's a neat story. Again, we don't want to get bogged down on it, but um, God event essentially reveals what their battle plan should be and they they carry them out and so we get to chapter six and now we're talking about worship and we're talking about the excitement that david has because now he's going to deal with something that we see is directly representative of the presence of god yeah and that would be the ark of the covenant this is uh, something you should be familiar with if you remember the tabernacle. And and um, th- this was basically where God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. That's right. Or if you've yeah. seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Of, no. yeah. But, <laughs> sorry. This is the thing that melts the Nazis' faces off. Yes, so. because it would have been considered extremely holy. It was considered um, to be in the same room with it was considered to be in the presence of God. Yes, that's right. And so, and for a long time, it had just been chilling at someone's house, like in the garage or something, right? (laughs) It was, (laughs) he had set it there under the watch of a priest Yep. and they didn't, God didn't have a temple yet to put it at. It, It was supposed to stay in the tabernacle and they'd kind of gotten away from setting up the tabernacle, especially during the time of judges. And so, yeah, it was it was being under watch and care, but David said, I recognize the need for worship. Yes. And he said, I want it to be in Jerusalem. Yeah. And so he goes out and this is kind of a interesting story and you can take some application from it. They said, Let's get it to Jerusalem. And so what do they do? They put it on a a cart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the card is is, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You have to kind of read the story through um, the the lens of a snake bird to understand why it goes off the rails or off the wheels. Because they're rolling (laughs) the cart. Yes. They're rolling the cart. And um, this wasn't on smooth cement like it would be in some of our streets, which... Golly, there's a lot of potholes even in yeah. some of the paved streets, but it's rolling down the down the way, and next thing you know, a wheel comes off. It's about to topple. This yeah. dude, uh, yeah. he he has a great heart. Uh-huh. He doesn't want the cart to fall, yeah. and he reaches out and he touches something that yeah. is revered as holy. 
Yeah, I mean, naturally. Yeah. Naturally, it's falling, and this is a very holy item that uh, this man named Uzzah tries to reach up and, and stabilize, and he, he touches the, the ark. And we know um, from, from pre- previous scripture that you're not to touch it. And he is, he's killed. And it's, it's really a sad situation because, you know, David, he's gone through this, all of this craziness and he has this heart to bring back God's, you know, Ark of the Covenant back and put it in its rightful place. And then in the midst of it, um, they didn't, they almost hastily brought it. He mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't approach it with the attention that it needed. They put it on a cart, and if he had done his research and, and realized that, you know, it, it needed to be on some poles and men carrying it. And it's sad. It's a sad thing because uh, a man died. And mm-hmm. David gets pretty ticked off. Too. Yeah, he, he really gets frustrated. Yeah. And so he's like, well, it's going to stay where it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I, I kind of get it. I can see why he'd be upset. I think I'd be upset, too. But then he, you know what, for three, was it three months he three left months. it in the dirt? You know, leave it in the dirt. Well, it, you know. it re- <laughs> three months, it got parked at the house of a man named Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Okay. Yeah. And God was like, well, my presence is there. So guess what I'm yeah. going to do? I'm going to bless it. (laughs) And I don't know what that means, but it says that he blessed the house. And I think that probably means like better crops or um, who knows? Maybe they were just in good moods all the time. Maybe like they had the joy. I mean, we don't want to just view blessings as only financial gain or things like that. But wherever the presence of God is, even in the midst of persecution, there's still blessing. Yeah. And this this time that it was at, at his house blessing this this man, uh, David had some time to rethink, uh, you know, the strategy of bringing the ark back. And yeah, he's probably sitting there just with his with his fingers on his chin, just thinking, you know, what what is what, what am I going to do with yeah. this? Yeah. Well, can you imagine being like Obed Edom's daughter in law or something, and she couldn't get pregnant? Yeah. And she's like, God, I just want a baby. And then the ark comes there. Yeah. And God's like, one more time. And then yeah. next thing you know, they're like, twins, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, and they were very excited about having a baby or something, something like that. Yeah. And David's looking at his house and he's getting these reports and he's like, remember where we parked the ark? Yeah. Park the ark. That's a fun thing to say. Um, <laughs> they're like, that guy's, that guy's household is really blessed. And he's like. I want that for Jerusalem. Yeah. I want people to experience that. And I the application is really interesting because you can you can pull so much from it of going, we tried doing something that we should have been more reverent on. Yeah. And approached it in probably a, a way where we researched it more and we treated it with more care. Yeah. And so they get it, they get yeah. A second chance. Yeah. And I, we can apply that even now with God. He is our friend. He's our father. He is someone that wants to be close to, uh, with us and, and to us. But we have to remember that he's a holy God. Yeah. And we should approach him, you know, approach him and our relationship with him with care. Never flippantly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I like the saying, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take 
him seriously. Yeah. We take the relationship seriously. Yeah, that's true. So whether we talk about movies or whether we joke about things, yeah. when it comes to God, we want to take that seriously. We, you know, one can think it's it's unfair all they want that a man died for trying to secure it, but that's you know that's really something that can happen if you treat God flippantly. That's right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So the ark moved on and came in to the house of Israel and into Jerusalem. And look at David. I mean, he is geeking out yeah. to use one of my favorite terms. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are um, in the Old Testament, they are worshiping God through sacrificing animals. Yeah. That was prescribed to the children of Israel. And so they're, they're taking six steps. And then sacrificing. And <laughs> Talk about erring on the side of caution. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and pouring out yes. praise. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It, it's not just all done out of fear. It's being no. done out of joy. No. And I, to me, seeing an animal sacrificed yeah. would freak me out in terms of like worshiping God. If we were at church and they were just like, you know, yeah. and I would, I would be like, uh, check please or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But in those days, cause it was prescribed and, and knowing yeah. what it meant and what the, that was the precursor to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Then that was so awesome. This was like the ultimate recognition of forgiveness of sin. Yes. And so this is a very, it's a very joyful thing. So. Yeah. And David, he, they have the, the, the harps going and the trumpet I I don't know. I feel like I'm visioning the the part from Star Wars where everybody's just celebrating. You know, it's a parade in a sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, and it says that David was dancing mightily before the Lord. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm trying to envision what dancing mightily. I mean, that's a that's like a hardcore getting after it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, I'm trying to I'm trying to compare it. You know, I I don't know. I, I'm envisioning it. It it makes me kind of chuckle, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's one of the things that we'll have to check out in the heavenly archives. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he was, he was, he was going for it. Yeah. I could name so many common uh, dance moves that I do not want to put those in our heads. Oh yeah. For what David was doing, because it was probably so cool. He was putting it all on the table, all of his emotion. It was expression. Yeah. It was expression of how he felt for God. Yeah. And holding nothing back. Yeah. And a lot of times we see um, other people that are on fire like that, and it kind of it kind of torques us, and mm. that kind of happens in this moment. Yeah, with, with his wife Michael. Yeah, she's sitting there looking out the window as as the ark's coming into town, and she sees David just praising God through all this expression, and she she kind of gets she kind of gets ticked off. She she's she's um, what's the word the Bible uses? She uh, starts to resent him in her heart, basically. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think made her made her have those feelings? I I wonder first of all if it's an insecurity. Yeah. Because she might have been jealous of the way she saw certain people looking at David. Yeah. Because it says that he might have danced out of his outer garment and so maybe he was wearing like more of his his undergarment as he was dancing which yeah. that could have been it. But there's also I think that tinge of um, especially as you grow as a Christian, yeah. sometimes you see that fire in someone else yeah. and you're going, uh Oh, why no, is it? Yeah. Why is it not in me? Yeah. And that's so true because we can oftentimes see, um, growth in someone else is almost like a threat because we feel insecure about our own lack of growth. 
Yeah, serving, maybe reading their Bible, mm -hmm. maybe praying. You yeah. hear about some people's prayer lives and you're like, overachiever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It, and it's, it's a root of jealousy almost. Yeah, goody two-shoes. Yeah. But then think about think about the interaction when when Michael actually confronted David, what did he say? Cause I, yeah, that's the way we have to be. What did he say? He's basically, he was like, this is, this is about God. This wasn't about me. I wasn't trying to have, have the, uh, every, everyone's eyes on me. This was about God. And he even mentions that he was striving for humility in that. Yeah. And that's going to be the difference between somebody showing off yeah. And somebody doing it for the right reasons is yeah. the level of pride. Uh -huh. If they're if they're doing it and man, I've seen this and and I let's say it, it the pendulum is swung the other way. Yeah. It's the person who is um openly trying to outwardly worship God, but you see like one eye closed and the other the other eye not kind yeah. of searching around saying uh, like who's, who's looking, looking? Yeah. or singing the loudest, you know, yeah. like the best voice. Or yeah. who's doing it in, in real hu humility. Yeah. And most of the time, only God can judge the heart. Yeah. But yeah. if we're going to do it, we have to do it with that heart of humility and that heart of like, I love God. And I don't care yeah. who sees me dancing. I don't care who sees me worshiping. Yeah, ultimately, we're responsible for ourselves. Um, we'll never know what's really in the heart of someone else. But uh, what might seem strange or uncomfortable to us might be someone else, you know, pouring their full, sincere heart out to God. And um, yeah, that's just, that's, that's a dilemma that we have to work through. So in this, yeah, this is an awesome time during King David's life. He's uh, having a heart for God. He says he wants to build a temple and, and then he's told let your son do it. There's a lot of blood on your hands. <laughs> and what's so awesome is David starts getting like blueprints ready. He starts getting building materials ready. Yeah. And um, as he's sitting there, he remembers Saul and he remembers his, his friend and his best friend, Jonathan. And he says, is there anyone still alive yeah. from Jonathan's house, Saul's house? Yep. And yep. of course they tell him, there's uh, a guy named Mephibosheth. Yeah. And I love this moment in David's life because he's now he's now getting back on the right track. His heart's back on the right spot. He's wanting to build a temple and he's wanting to show kindness. And this story about Mephibosheth is, is really amazing. He's basically, he is the son of Jonathan, David's old beloved friend, and he's crippled because... Um, the, the backstory is pretty fascinating. The nurse actually dropped the kid when he was five years old, fleeing when she heard that Saul and Jonathan had died. And she was terrified. They're like, they're going to come for his son because he's next in line for the throne or whatever. And so she's, and she drops him and the kid's crippled. It's so tragic. It is. And, and David, you know, it's amazing what David does next with this young man. It's pretty wild. Yeah. He says, come to my house. Mm -hmm. Come sit at my table. Never worry about food ever again. Never worry about where you're going to lay your head. You always have a place. Yeah. Now I imagine David's representatives or whoever was coming to their door, they're like, oh no, David's come to eliminate the last descendant. And then they, they interact with them and it's no, no, you don't understand. You now get all the land back that your father had. And you're set up for life, and you're you're gonna have not only you're gonna have your own crops, but you're not even you're not even gonna eat off of those. You're gonna have food at my table. That was very common. 
killing all the descendants of the previous regime. Yeah, it was. And this, to me, is a perfect picture of the gospel. It really is. Because what did Mephibosheth have to bring? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It was all a gift. It was all David saying, it's by grace. Here, you know, here's a gift. Yeah. Just come to my table. In in the world's thinking, the only beneficial thing in this situation would be to kill Mephibosheth. Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened. The opposite happened. Yeah. I love even the, the verse 13 of chapter 9. It says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate continually at the king's table. Yeah. Like... I was. I'm just thinking of heaven, like yeah. there, planted. It is. That's good. You know. That's so, great. Yeah. Uh, another neat story about another battle. Um, don't need to necessarily go into it, other than the fact that even though David's armies were surrounded on both sides and they'd hired these guns for hire, they still defeated them. And then it leads us to chapter 11, where things get real hairy. Yeah. This is um, this is the the famous Bathsheba. And um, it's interesting because it's almost like David is in a point in his life where he's started kind of taking it easy. Um, A lot of times in this season that this happens, kings are supposed to be in war, and David's not. He's at home, and he's kind of just living the good life. Um, He's walking in high cotton, so they say in Texas. (laughs) And he's just, uh, he's on his roof, and uh, the the king's roof oversees the city, and he looks down in a particular... um, Residence, and there is a very beautiful woman taking a bath. It's not a sin to see something; it's a sin to revisit it and keep looking and keep looking. Yeah, and that's exactly what he does. Yeah, he had a choice to make, and he he made that choice right there. Where yeah, he he saw he beheld her. Yeah, he could have yeah. said, "Oh, lady bathing, yep. I gotta go," but instead he kept looking. Yeah. And then he inquired about her. So, you know, he mm-hmm. he tries to find her Facebook profile. Yep. <laughs> he doesn't know how to use Facebook because he's older. And so his servants find her for him, of course. They they know who she is. And this is where the agents of stop come in. That, yeah. I mean, that's a very Christianese term, but it's like God putting roadblocks in your path. Yeah. Saying, are you really sure that you want to go down this, this way? Yeah. Because his servants say... Oh, by the way, that's Bathsheba, daughter of this guy, and she's the wife of uh-huh. Uriah. Yeah, yeah, he's getting, he's definitely getting some hurdles in the road, which are red flags from God. Yeah, he's saying, "Hey, don't, don't do this," and he, he keeps on at it. I mean, he's got this, this image in his head, this beautiful woman he saw, and he is just tempted to the point where he's going to follow through with this. Yeah, and, and he, um. He makes her acquaintance one on one. Sends her a summons. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um and the inevitable happens when you pursue uh past these roadblocks. He mm-hmm. he ends up having an affair with her. Yeah. And you think the the story is tied up in a nice little bow for David and he's like, Okay, did it, done it, got it, good, it's yeah. over. No. All of a sudden here comes this messenger saying, hey, there's actually a consequence of your actions. Yep. I'm pregnant. She's pregnant. And she has a husband. And this is going to look bad. And so David 
very sneakily. <laughs> yeah, he's like Mr. Burns, you know, just yeah. kind of. Well, that was a terrible reference, but um, he he <laughs> basically, yeah, he calls Uriah her husband in, and he's like, he was out in battle where David should have been, yeah, leading them, and he he calls him in, and he says, hey, uh, he gets him drunk. He says, go go home and sleep with your wife. Um, yeah, he, he's like, we gotta get this covered up. Short of playing some Marvin Gaye, yeah. he is really trying to set up the circumstances for them to yeah. be intimate together. He's trying to bury this, and, and it's interesting. Once you once you get into something like this, you start having to lie, and it's a domino effect. It's a lie on top of a lie on yeah. top of a lie. And Uriah, he's a Hittite, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he. He has a little bit better character than the king by saying, I'm, I actually am not going to go home because my brothers are out there bleeding and I, you know, they're dying face down in the mud. I'm, I'm not going to do that while they're out there. Yeah. Honorable man. Yeah. I mean, David's like, okay, I'm going to try to get him drunk. Yeah. And he tries to get him drunk and then he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just keep two nights he tried to he tried to um, make this happen and he's yeah. like go home your wife I think she's pretty How? I, I saw her, your guys' Christmas card one year I mean yeah, yeah you got you got stuff to do and, and both times Uriah's like king yeah. I just came from the front lines if my if my uh, comrades my fellow battlers can't be here enjoying the same type of freedom yeah I don't deserve to yeah and David's sitting here thinking, "Oh, great! What am I going to do now?" Yeah. And so it and it's already progressed to a bad point. Yep. And now it progresses much worse. Yep. Instead of repenting, uh, which he could have, it's not fun to admit as something at this level. But uh, it would have been better than what he does next. And what he does next is he sends. Uh, Muriah, her husband, out to the front lines. He's like, if I can't convince him to do this, we're just going to have to, you know, get rid of the evidence. With his own death warrant. Yeah. He says, give this note to Joab, my commander. Yeah. And in the note, it says, make sure that you send Uriah to the front lines. Yeah. And when the battle gets hairiest, pull back. Yeah. That's in, I mean, David didn't do this overnight. These are steps that no, he took yeah. that he just, and that's, that's the nature of sin. Yeah. It's a baby and it grows and it grows and it grows. And now he's a murderer. And Uriah is not the only one that died because Joab now sends back a letter after reading this, yeah. this instruction, he, um, he goes through with what David instructs him to do. And then he specifically tells the messenger, make sure you tell David that we lost some, we had some casualties. And when he says, why did you do it that way? Include this little tagline. Also tell him Uriah the Hittite is dead. Yeah. In order to accomplish this, there, there was a lot of price to pay. Yeah. Oh, it just makes me sick. It makes me sick because this is a guy who I love in the Bible. And yet every time I read this story, I just, I see myself in it. So I don't want to judge him because yeah. I know all of us sin and we all fall short, but I, the, the circumstances just get ugly. And, you know, we all lied in a sense and in to what Jesus defines murder as we've all murdered because we've hated in our hearts. Yeah. It just gets real right here. Yeah. And there's a lot of consequences, um, 
that, that came from this, the repercussions of this sin and the, the uh, links that David allowed it to go to, um, they're, they're, he, he basically for a year, was it a year that he lived with this, this thing that he had done and he just tried to overlook it? Yeah. I mean, he thought it would pass you at know? that point. Yeah. Because now he thinks it's over. Yeah. And, um, Uriah comes home in a box or mm-hmm. he gets buried out on the battlefield. Yeah. Um, Bathsheba goes into mourning. All of a sudden her husband's dead. She's a widow. David sends for her. Yeah. They get married. Story case yeah. closed. Story ended. Case closed. Yeah. Is that, but no. And I, I don't know if Nathan, who was the prophet at the time here, kind of knew what was going on the whole time or if God revealed it to him. But after this year of David trying to just live like nothing had ever happened, mm-hmm. Nathan comes to him and he tells him this interesting story. It's like a parable meant to draw out this sin that David had committed that he's ignoring. Yeah, and it actually has things in there that would really stir up David's zeal or yeah. anger yeah. because he talks about sheep, which I yeah. mean, David being a shepherd would f- have a great um, resonance with it. Yeah. Very snaky way that yeah. Nathan brought this to David's attention. Yeah. Very, um, very clever. He basically tells him the story about a ewe lamb, uh, basically um, a poor family that had this lamb that became like a pet to them. And the rich man who was the, the um, uh, kind of the leader or the master of this servant, he, uh, he takes his lamb instead of one of his many and sacrifices it for a, for a feast. And it's, you know, completely pointing to what David did. He had plenty of wives, and he took the wife of another man. And it, it, and David got ticked off. He's like, David the gets, man that did this shall surely die. He gets so mad that he says, <laughs> we got to kill this dude. Yeah. I mean, he might not have thought it was a parable. He's like, show me this man. <laughs> yeah. I will end him myself. Yeah. Yeah. The hypocrisy just yeah. cut him deep. And then here comes those famous four words. You are the man. Oh, man. And not like 2019's like, you're the man. No. No, he was like, you are the man. You you pulled off this Ocean's Eleven heist. You're this person, David. Yeah. Which is, man, that's that's a thing to say to a king. But David has a heart that recognizes what Nathan's saying, uh, Mm -hmm. what God's saying through Nathan. You thought you got away with it, but God saw it. Yeah. And and look what happened. Look what the repercussions are. You yeah. you talk about your bones fading away. You're you're yeah. not able to sleep at night. You're not able to rest. You're you're dwelling in this depth of sin. Yeah. Some of the specific repercussions is extreme guilt. Mm-hmm. It ruined his testimony for others. People, you know, David says, "I'm I'm a man of God," and people thinking this is what a man of God does. And we can see that even now with people we look at that get on the news yeah. or, or, you know, even people that we know in our own congregations. And the consequences, it's like you're not going to have peace in your household. Yeah. Strife arose. You, like even your kids are going to have issues mm-hmm. and um, your wives and things like that. Yeah. A very dysfunctional family life after this. Yeah. I love David's response because he could have, he could have thrown Nathan in jail. Yeah. He could have publicly executed him, which would have doubled down on his sin Mm -hmm. or I mean, any number of things, but I love what he did because he said, 
I have sinned against the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, he, he turns he turns to God and he repents like mm-hmm. he should have done long before, but it's you know, it's never too late. At whatever point you are in your sin to turn to God, that's the right thing to do, and that's yeah. what he did. Yeah, and he goes um into intense prayer for this child that uh, Nathan then says, the child that you had with Uriah's wife is going to die. Yeah. And he goes into intense prayer and fasting and asking God to to allow the child to live. Yeah. And we know that it still dies. And yeah. right then after that, he gets up and says, well, I'll finally take a shower and I'll eat. Yeah. And I love this because they said, well, you were so depressed before the child died. And now yeah. you're, you're doing okay. And this is a glimpse of heaven. He goes... Well, I understand that he can't come to me, but one day I'll go to him. Yeah, that's true. And so... Yeah, and the last thing I would like to mention in this Bathsheba episode is, you know, later on we we see that Solomon has a lot of issues in his home life and things that he does with his wives and family. And I think a lot of what he saw happen in David's household stemmed. Um, or that, that was the root of what happened in his son Solomon's later life. And that, that's something to to remember too, is that you affect your children and you affect later generations by your sin sometimes. Yeah. You're laying, you're laying down roots. You're planting seeds, whether, whether you're doing things that are following Mm -hmm. after God's heart or whether you're doing things that are leading you away after from God's heart. Yeah. Whether you're a leader or just have your own family, people are watching you. Yeah. So yeah. that's important. And the next few chapters of David's life, we start to go into really um, the repercussions of what's gone on in his family life. Because yeah. now you have Amnon, who is um, attracted to his sister to the point where he seduces her and then or he goes after to seduce her and then he ends up raping her. Yeah. And then Absalom, who is Amnon's brother, is not okay with it and yet David doesn't do anything. So he steps in and he ends up murdering him. Yeah. And David then exiles Absalom, but he loves him and so he's again kind of passive on this whole parenting thing, which is yeah. a terrible deal. And um, it ends up really biting him in the in the butt because Absalom um, tries to overthrow him. Yeah, Absalom basically he he starts to resent his father big time, mm-hmm. and David didn't handle the situation with his kids growing up and into this point to where it 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 settled these issues, and that really does bite David because Absalom he starts going out to the city gates mm-hmm. and he starts this this deceptive campaign secretly (laughs) against David to reach the people before they get to the king for judgment. Yeah. He's like, you know, if only I was appointed, you know, a leader, I I would hear your case, you know, cause I care about you Mm -hmm. insinuating David doesn't basically. Yeah. And David, um, is usurped and then all of a sudden back (laughs) on the run has to go back out what Absalom does is pretty effective. He ends up, you know, um, starting this thing where he sends a bunch of spies out and they all at one time say that Absalom's king and it throws the kingdom in a in a mass confusion and David is forced to leave. Yeah. Because they don't know what's fixing to happen. It's an insane situation. No. And then 
Um, Absalom could have killed David right away, but mm-hmm. God worked it out to where he didn't get really great counsel. And yeah. then their their armies go to war. And Absalom, um, if you use the term like yada, 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 next thing you know, he becomes the first human pinata. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> his hair is so thick, he gets stuck in a tree and he gets stabbed. Yeah. And, and the people feel guilty because instead of David rejoicing that his army won, yeah. he just starts crying for his yeah. son, which yeah. is so terribly tragic. And it, it's another repercussion of, of you know, those bad decisions David made early yes, on. exactly. And it, and it threw his entire kingdom in, in division. It's, yeah. It's insane. And this is all I feel like, and Scripture points to, it's kind of all fallout of what happened because of his... Indiscretion with yeah. Bathsheba and yeah. that little tiny baby yeah. sin domino affected and grew in such a way subtly at times, you know, into this, a yeah. divided country. Yeah. Okay. So we've covered a lot of the life of David. And as we close, I think there's one more chapter of his life that we need to address. And that is the chapter where he takes the census. Yeah, And it's an interesting uh, dynamic because we have one chapter of the Bible that says one thing uh, in, in 2 Samuel. And then in 1 in Chronicles, it's said a different way. Do you have an interpretation yeah. of that? Well, basically, in 2 uh, in Samuel, it says that the Lord moved David to do the census. And Chronicles says that Satan moved. And basically what this situation is, we see it in other parts of the Bible, basically... Um, Satan's already always ready to pounce on a bad decision of ours. And this was a bad decision. The idea of David counting the people, it, it was a type of security, um, kind of like, look how great we are in number. We're secure rather than putting full security in, uh, the fact that God's their keeper. And David, um, basically is going to make this decision. Satan moves him to do it. Uh, God allows it. It's a, it's kind of a multifaceted thing that's going on here. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because, um, it later says in James that Satan tempts, but God tries. Yeah. And so in any circumstance, we realize that when we're kind of leaning one way, Satan, if it's towards sin, Satan is out there yeah. pushing us with both hands. Yeah, it's like in Luke 22 and Satan asks permission to move against Peter. You know, he's always ready to do this. And sometimes if God sees we're going to make the decision, he allows Satan to move. You he know? wants to sift you like wheat. Yeah, and Job. You know, there's a lot of different situations. Exactly, so yeah. We don't want to be accused of skipping over something. So no. I'm just going to pull that out. And this was a sad situation because David always trusted in God. And then he got it in his head. I need to know what my fighting strength is. I need to know how many men of arms we have. Yeah. Even though even his advisors are saying, you don't need to know. We got God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How many times have we been outnumbered and yet God is one, even falling back to the biggest story of your life where you were the little shepherd boy versus the giant. Yeah. You still had God on your side. So you had the advantage, advantage David. Yeah. So, um, he goes through with that and he gets called on the carpet. And of course he comes back to that place where he realizes I messed up. I've sinned. I shouldn't have done this. And Gad comes through and says, okay, God accepts your apology, but there's going to be a consequence. Yeah. And he comes and he says, you have the options. God is giving you some options. He says, you can either have seven years of famine 
You can have three months where your enemies are victorious over you and you're going to flee or you're going to have three days of plague. Yeah. And David's reaction is really interesting because he realizes that he as the king and his household could really virtually be insulated from the first two options. Yeah. Because if he chooses option number one, the king's household during a famine usually doesn't go hungry. Yeah. It's the people that suffer. Yeah. And then option number two, when enemies are victorious against them, it's again, not the king's household who's necessarily getting uh, pelted. It's the his army is going to be the one taking severe losses. Mm-hmm. It's option number three that he says, this one hits home. Yeah. And he even says, let it be on my head and my household. I, lo- I love this returning back to back to his, you know, like his original zeal whenever he faced Goliath alone in the place of Israel. He's, he's, he's starting to go back to this, this uh, more sincere, true, um, you surrender to God. Yeah. Kind of like that one-on-one relationship that they had. And we're going to see that's the encounter as we close that he has. Yeah. Because all of a sudden we get this picture of this plague is actually um, drawn out by an angel of the Lord that's standing between heaven and earth and 70,000 men die in this plague. Yeah. And he comes to this threshing floor in uh, First Chronicles, the man is named Ornan, and in Second uh, Samuel, his name is Aruna. So we're just going to call him uh, Aruna for now. And this angel of the Lord stops at the threshing floor of Aruna, and he says through Gad to David, come and sacrifice. And it's essentially to me, it's like, we're going to have a face-to-face. Yeah. And so David comes and he's with the the elders of Israel and he's clothed in sackcloth and he's mourning and he's he's offering a repentant and contrite heart and he comes and all of a sudden Aruna which is hilarious because his four sons see this angel of the Lord and they flee and they hide mm-hmm. Aruna he's still out there threshing yeah it, it reminds me of that famous picture of the guy that's mowing his lawn and the tornadoes behind him he's like yeah <laughs> yeah eh, if it gets here you know it's just a windy day we know west texas and so yeah david comes and he says listen i i need to worship god which means I'm going to need your threshing floor to make some sacrifices. Yeah. And Aruna is like, you take whatever you need. I have cattle here that you can um, use as sacrifices. You can take my threshing instruments and break them up as wood for the fire. Whatever you need, it's all yours. And David says, you can't give it to me. I'm going to pay full price for it because I don't want to cheapen my worship. Yeah. It's like David is um, gathering all the wisdom from all these situations throughout life. And he says, I'm doing it right this time. Yeah. Yeah. I read a quote that says, he who has a religion that costs him nothing has a religion that is worth nothing. Oh, that's good. He saw that in order for it to actually be a sacrifice, it had to come from a place of sacrifice. And so... Um, you know what's neat about this threshing floor of Aruna? It's location. Really? Yeah, this is actually where Abraham was going to offer Isaac. This is Mount Moriah. This is Mount Moriah. Oh. It's a picture 
of Jesus. The same hills that Jesus It's the was same hills on. that Jesus was sacrificed That's on. That's crazy. You can't make this stuff up. You can't. And yet God has called David to come have this face to face with him. And so David comes and he realizes he sinned. He realizes that worship means something. Worship um, connects to the heart of God. And so David comes and offers this sacrifice of worship. And as he's offering these burnt offerings, First Chronicles 21 tells us that fire fell from heaven as that connection is made and consumed the offerings. Wow. And at that moment, that angel of the Lord who had stopped then sheathed his sword. Well, that's great. It's it's fantastic. That's a great picture. It really is. And and that's where we're gonna leave David. This amazing man who had such a big story. Yeah. Uh never at any times did the Bible pull any punches about his character. Yeah. That's he true. he fought a giant and yet he committed a murder. He was anointed as king of Israel and yet he committed adultery. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important for us to recognize the highs and lows of David's life because yeah. that that's any of us. Great leader, bad parent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we can relate to in his life and he was a, a man after God's own heart and that is because of where David ran to whenever he whenever he saw these flaws in himself, he wasn't, you know, immune to the same stuff we go through. No. But it's where he ran when he encountered them. Yeah, and to see his heart through all of those psalms, all the all the different um, emotions and yeah. feelings and um, hardships that he could go through, and yet to come back to say, "You are my refuge; the Lord is my shepherd; yeah. I shall not want." Such an encouragement. Yeah, I feel like we're saying goodbye to a good friend after looking at all of these these crazy situations and and it's awesome. It's awesome to see who David uh, turned to and how he ended up. Yeah. And I, I think as we leave this, I just want to remind us of the power of a repentant heart. Yeah. Cause even after David sinned with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah, he came and he wrote Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore unto me the joy of salvation and renew a right spirit within me. So he knew the power of a repentant heart. Yeah. And then he understood, like we said earlier, the sacrifice of worship, mm -hmm. that it costs him something. It wasn't just flipping. It wasn't something that he just was like, oh, I'm going to worship now. It actually yeah. meant something to him. It was, it was intentional. Yeah. So true. And then the last thing is just falling into the hands of God. It's a perfect picture of grace. Yeah. Because he's like, I could go with the world. I tried that. It didn't work. Yeah. I want to go with God. And yeah. that's what grace is, is saying, my life isn't worth anything. It's only, it's not what I've done. It's what you've done. Yeah. In David's most epic moments, it was because who was behind him. That's right. That's right. And so that... Snakebird podcast listeners is our first Snakebird profile. Yeah. We didn't skimp on Bible characters. <laughs> no. We chose one of the biggest ones we could think of, I guess. Yeah. And um, we're excited to do another one here in the next few weeks. 
we encourage you as we probably skip something of the life of David that you really liked, or um, maybe we didn't touch on a particular topic, we encourage you to send us in your feedback and connect with us about this podcast or, or one that you've listened to already. Um, we just want to hear from you. We know it's this is not just a one-way street, it's a dialogue, and we're on Facebook. Or you can send us an email uh, on our website that is connect at basnakebird.com. Yeah. Yeah. And if you enjoy the Snakebird podcast, please share us with your friends on social media. Uh, that's a great way that can help us out and get the word out. Yes. Please subscribe and then encourage others that are listening to, uh, to subscribe so we can continue to get this out there. That's a huge blessing. Yes. So, like David... Always remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus and to be a a snake snake bird. bird.